0: Friends, welcome to a brand new series here at the What If Project Podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 79, and it's part one of our series, Women's Voices You Need to Hear. Part one of Women's Voices You Need to Hear. What? So. Let me take a few extra minutes uh, in this first episode of the series to kind of set the stage, uh, lay the groundwork for uh, what is about to happen over the next 12 or so weeks. Now, you might remember, um, I first mentioned this series in an episode all the way back in, I think, the first week of September, and I told you that this was coming, and uh here it is. So, so why? Well, it's no secret that a female voice has uh yet to hit the airwaves of the What If project. And uh that is no accident. I've had 32 guests on the podcast so far, and none of them have been uh female. Why? Well, it's not because I don't like women. Uh it's not because I value male voices more than female um, it's not because I'm afraid of women, uh, but rather I've been saving up all of the female voices that I've reached out to uh, for this for this moment in history uh, so that I could bring all of them together and I uh, give them center stage, so to speak, to lead us, uh, enlighten us, and shower us with their wisdom in a way that no man ever could. Okay. So, so here's the deal. Uh, women are, uh, a minority and, and I wrote this on uh, Facebook a few weeks ago, and I'm going to try to, uh, kind of share it here and, and talk through it a little bit. But again, women are a minority, right? Like in society, of course, but in the church, really. And I think their voices have been pushed by the church, To the margins. That's not even my opinion. That's just like factual information. Uh, Their voices have been pushed uh, to the margins, where they've been made to feel um, insignificant, uh, second class, inferior, and and less than less than everybody else. In fact, from from my experience, like I've got, I've got some skin in this game. Like I've been doing this for. A long time. My experience as a pastor, um, as someone who has spent uh, around 20 years in some form of uh, church leadership, women are typically called upon only when it benefits uh, the male voices around them. The male voices that have more often than not manipulated the scriptures in some way uh, in an effort to justify their own uh, platform their own misappropriated power and hold on to this like last ditch attempt to just grasp on to sink their their claws into some ancient and uh, distorted form of patriarchy that keeps them at the top, uh, them at the center, and women at the bottom or on the outskirts. Now saying that uh, will likely ruffle some feathers and that's just the way that it, it has to be. Uh, but make no mistake about it, this series that we are putting together here is, is a deliberate attempt by me um, and the What If Project to uh, resist that misappropriated power, uh, clear the stage for some women voices who have made a significant impact in my own life uh, and in my own, in my own faith, um, and really just poke the bear. And, and clip the muzzle off of the female voices, uh, clip the muzzle off of women that has been put on there uh, by, by the patriarchy. So who are we going to be hearing from is, is the question. Uh, you're going to find out week by week. I'm not going to give you all of that stuff up front. Uh, if you're part of our uh, What If Project community, which I'll talk about in a minute, uh, you have most of the list of, of women who will be on the show. Uh, Today, though, we're going to be hearing from Cindy Wong Brandt, and she's going to talk to us about some of the themes from her book, uh, Parenting Forward, which is subtitled How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness, and she also um, helps me in this episode come to a very, I would say, profound parenting revelation about three-quarters of the way through the episode, so uh, listen out for for that. But first, though, uh, a few things. Number one, Patreon. Patreon.com slash what if project is a place where you can go to support the show for as little as $3 a month. And so if this uh, show has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, whatever the case may be, consider going there to uh, give to the show, support it financially. Uh, all of the money goes to pay the hosting fees for the blog, uh, the podcast. And also, uh, the money goes aside to help me get to the Wild Goose Festival in uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina in uh, July. So uh, you can help me go there, get my ticket, uh, pay for my gas, my food, uh a place for me to sleep, all of those different kinds of things. So patreon.com slash whatifproject. The What If Project community, which I mentioned a little while ago, is a closed Facebook group uh, online. Where you can go and uh, find people who maybe like yourself are wandering through the wilderness of their faith, uh, trying to figure out exactly what it is that they believe about God as their faith is shifting and evolving. They're asking questions, expressing doubts. Uh, that's a place for you. Everybody's in there at a different place on their journey. We have about 100, I think, 50 people in there right now. And uh, People are sharing their ideas, their thoughts, their questions, their resources, and the best part is is nobody's arguing, nobody's bickering, nobody's fighting, nobody's trying to convert anybody. Um, It's just honesty and people in there being real and sharing their hearts. So uh, go check that out. The links to those things will be in the show notes. Special music today, as has been for the last couple of weeks, Uh, DJ K-Dot, she works with me, and uh, I've known her for a couple of years now. And uh, she is just a really great spirit, um, doing really great things in the world. Uh, her music is on Spotify, Apple Music, all the places. I'll put the links to that in the show notes as well. And lastly, um, I want to lead us into the episode with a short with a short reading. Um, each week during the series, I'm going to read for you uh, before the episode an excerpt uh, either from our guest if they have a book. Um, or some sort of poem or piece of uh, feminist theology. And so today, what I want to do is I want to read for you a very short paragraph uh, from Cindy's book, and then we're going to roll into the conversation. Cool? Cool. So here's, here's my reading. Uh, it's, it comes from Cindy's book, Parenting Forward, and uh, she says this, I believe what brings me the most pain is the lack of consent I had as a minor to agree to an allegiance to Christianity, especially a version of Christianity that demands one to be on fire for God. I appreciate the many beautiful aspects of the Christian tradition, but having been converted as a child with the threat of eternal damnation, I began my Christian life under coercion. My natural spirituality was subsumed by fear." Extending spiritual autonomy to children means not abusing our adult power over their vulnerabilities by scaring them into conversion. Instead, we can provide spiritual grounding by inviting our children into a large, open field of spirituality where we can play and experiment with a set of values. Enjoy the show. Here's my conversation with Cindy Wong Brandt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, it is great to have you along today because we're sitting down with my friend, Cindy Wong-Brant, who is the author of the amazing book, Parenting Forward, and uh, subtitled How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. So, Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming by.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, for sure. So, Cindy, I first heard about you on uh, Facebook. Someone shared a quote of yours that I believe maybe originated in your Facebook group, uh, Raising Children Unfundamentalist. And since I was raised in what I would probably call a strict, conservative, fundamentalist, church, private school setting, I was like, oh, like, I don't know who Cindy is, but she gets me and I need to get more of her voice in my, in my life. And so uh, I recently picked up your book. Um, I love it. Your book really has resonated with me, uh, with my wife. We're both in this season of deconstruction reconstruction. We've got a two and a half year old daughter, so we have a variety of people in our life from our old tribe who maybe aren't as excited about our faith shift as as we are. So, uh, yeah. I just yeah. So I was just talking to my wife the other night, and I was like, I really just want to thank you, uh, Cindy, for the work that you do, for the safe place that you have created for people uh, who are trying to raise their kids in a way that is maybe different. the norm so thank you Mm. for what you do
1: thank you oh it's such an honor to do what i love and have people thank me for it i always feel like i have to thank you for trusting my voice and being a part of my community it's always interesting to me to hear people resonate with my experience because i live in taiwan um Mm. and i'm asian and and i'm a woman so it's like my life experiences should be very different from yours but Mm. it it kind of speaks to how far-reaching the influence of evangelicalism is. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a an, I'm an missionary convert. I was converted. Mm. I grew up here in Taiwan, but I was converted by American evangelical missionaries. Mm. Um, and I also went to a conservative evangelical school. And so it's, it's funny because even though I grew up in another culture, in another country, uh, the subculture of evangelicalism and the faith values is so similar to others who grew up in that same environment yeah, sure um, and so I, I when I tell my stories about my faith and my upbringing it's, it like resonates with people all halfway across across the world um, because of how cohesive I think the narrative um, mm. of evangelicalism is especially when it comes to raising children and youth
2: hmm.
1: right. Um, okay. Yeah, there's just these uh th- those core principles of raising children which I really think is authoritarian and hierarchical
0: mm. um
1: which is what I'm trying to undo the damage and break the cycle for the next generation.
0: Mm, that's so good. You know, I didn't know originally that you were in Taiwan and then when I learned that you were I was like, wow, like I would think just because I ignorance I would just think that the the way that you would speak about these kind of things there would be very different from here, but everybody here knows who Cindy Wong Brandt is.
2: Um, oh. <laughs> and so it's just so
0: interesting to me that like you live there, but like you said, your message and the things that you're, you're teaching, the things you're striving for, you're pushing for, really resonate mm-hmm. with everybody. So before we jump into the book, because I want to, I, I, I ripped this book apart. I've highlighted it and I have so many questions for you and i tried to narrow down my, my list. But uh, before we jump into that, maybe for our listeners who don't, Know who you are. Maybe they haven't um, heard of you. Uh, I was wondering if you could just take a few minutes to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What what do you do? Uh, What makes what makes Cindy tick?
1: Sure. Um, I touched on it already. I grew up in Taiwan and I was converted into evangelicalism. And Mm -hmm. um, so I was raised in this environment and went to Wheaton College, the Harvard of evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Went to I actually became a missionary myself, so I was very, um, very much on that path of um, evangelical godliness, (laughs) 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 Um, trying to get that crown, (laughs) Um, and then, and then life happened, and um, I I tell, there's, people always ask me what started my deconstruction, and there's Mm. so many different things, and it's so gradual, and it's so gradual and sudden at the same time. I don't even know if that makes sense, but it's just true experience. There's like, there are certain moments, like for example, when my brother came out as transgender. So that was one big moment. And then Mm -hmm. there's the slow grind of, you know, moving about in this world as a woman of color and realizing that I'm treated differently. So there's Mm -hmm. that inequality. And so there's little things and big things that's happened in life that's caused me to, deconstruct my faith and and then i had like many other evangelicals i married young and i had children right Mm. away and i found i thought my biggest calling in life was to be a wife and mother because that's Mm. what i was taught um and so i had my children while going through this faith deconstruction and the big question and, and tension in my life was how am I supposed to pass on my faith, which um, it's kind of a big part of parenting, right? It's giving our children the values that are um, closest to us. And so I was having to um, parent my children while having no idea um, what I believe anymore, what I believe about everything, because your faith kind of is the lens through which you interpret everything that happens in your life, Mm -hmm. your marriage, your vocation, um, you know, the media that you consume, like everything. Mm. Um, So it it was such a mess and such disarray about how to manage that tension. And and I became a writer. I started writing about these things and and I built this community um, of other parents who are going through the same thing because I knew that I wasn't the only one. Mm. Um, and I also wanted to create resources for parents who want to raise their children with spirituality, with faith. Um, well, not necessarily faith. I, I really honor um, agnostics and atheists as mm. well, but with depth, right? With depth yeah. and with meaning. Um, but that comes from a more progressive Uh, side of things, because I didn't feel like it existed. I didn't feel like there were very much
2: (laughs) that existed
1: in this particular niche. And so I wanted to um, build something at the intersection of parenting and progressive faith, which is the intro of my podcast, Parenting Forward,
2: Hmm.
1: Um, as well as I have a conference, Parenting Forward conference, um, and my group. So everything that I do is trying to expand the space of parenting and progressive faith.
0: So all of that, your story makes me think of my own story and kind of a struggle that that I have. And a lot of people have asked me this question and I don't know how to answer them. So maybe you can help shine some light onto this. But in your experience, like how, how did you learn to talk to your kids about Jesus, uh, about God, when you're in this place where you're not really even 100% sure what the heck you believe about Jesus and God uh, anymore? And I ask that because... As I've mentioned, I have a daughter. She's two and a half years old. And we've been talking to her about Jesus and about God uh, since she was an infant. And on our fireplace mantle, we have these uh, figurines that I had when I was a kid um, that are, you know, like images of Jesus in different scenes of his life. So maybe he's walking on water. uh, There's the crucifixion turning water into wine. And she loves to look at these figurines. She's like, Daddy, take me to the fireplace. Look at these. In my old like evangelical mind, like I know how to tell these stories like in my sleep, and I could talk about these things, and I used to be a pastor, so I would preach about them. But mm-hmm. my new, like more progressive thinking mind, sometimes I have trouble putting words on the things that i I think about these stories, and so what advice would you give to people like me uh, who have come out of this evangelical world? they're rethinking their faith, but they 're really hesitant to talk to their kids about God because Maybe they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't really know how to answer the questions. They don't know how to describe the things that they feel. Like, what is your experience with with that?
1: I think people are afraid of talking about faith to their children the same way they're afraid to talk their children about sex, Yeah. about death. Hmm about all the hard things, because it feels like the stakes are so high. It feels like if you say the wrong thing, you're going to ruin them for life.
0: That's exactly what I fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, You nailed it.
1: (laughs) So I would encourage parents, especially those of us who have gone through a significant faith shift to know that faith is not static. Hmm. There's nothing that you can say that's going to set your child in stone for their faith. Mm -hmm. They are going to change, especially if you tell your story of your evolving faith and your faith fluidity, then they're going to grow up in a family that understands that faith isn't static. And then Mm -hmm. so they can think they can be a little fundamentalist at two years old (laughs) and they likely will be because of concrete, literal thinking. Um, And that's okay because Mm. there's time and there's space and there's freedom. Hopefully you're offering your children the freedom to change their minds. Mm. Um, And I feel like we have to honor our story and we have to honor our own authenticity. In fact, that's the best thing that we can do is to be honest and authentic to our children. So I would recommend to parents tell your, tell your kids what you think about Jesus and God and faith at the time, what is most honest to you? What do you think at that moment in time, knowing that you used to think differently, knowing that you're going to think differently, um, but that particular snapshot, just tell them, honor, give your children your most honest self. Mm. Um, at that moment, and grow together and uh, my big thing is we learn with our kids we learn from our kids mm. about faith and and about wonder and awe and connectedness um, and so always make it a, a, a two way street um, mm. you know a lot of parents say, "Well, how do I teach my children about faith well why don 't you ask what can my children teach me about faith
0: mm. that 's good I, I always I think growing up, I was always, especially in school, like in, like I said, I went to a private Christian school. We had Bible class every Thursday mm-hmm. and I was in youth group and Sunday school. And then I went to Bible college and was always like, you were always told that in order to be strong in your faith, you had to be almost like a pillar, you know, like an unshakable, unmovable pillar. And if you're mm-hmm. that pillar ever weakened, that meant that you had weak faith. And so I think, yeah. I think sometimes my battle internally is Part of me wants to portray that to my daughter, but part of me also realizes that's the toxicity that I picked up growing up. And so I think right. what you bring out, the beautiful, the beautiful thing that you bring out is the fluidity of my own mm-hmm. journey is something that she could probably learn from as well. And then I can right. learn from her as I watch her experience it myself.
1: That's right. It's a, it's a story. Our lives mm. are stories and children, unfortunately, resonate with stories very well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we live our story, we let our children live their story, and we have the privilege and honor of intersecting our stories with our children. Mm. Um, I think that's a much better way to think of faith than 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 any pillar.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. So we've got, uh, like I said, we have a lot of parents that listen to the show, and one of the questions that I get a lot um, in our Facebook group, and that I'm constantly asking myself is, you know, how how do you, how do I respond to uh, maybe family that has raised me in a more fundamentalist evangelical setting, but they're having a hard time accepting my own faith shift and therefore uh, the way that I'm choosing to raise my own child. Like, what are your thoughts about, you know, like getting together with family for holidays, for birthdays, for events, those almost like unavoidable circumstances where you know that family is going to be present They're either going to give you the stink eye or the side eye. Maybe they're going to verbally shame you or joke or challenge you or push back on your beliefs. Like, Have you had any experience, first of all, personally uh, with this? And what words of wisdom would you have for people who are maybe finding themselves in that uncomfortable territory today?
1: Right. Um, so this is where the research and awareness surrounding boundaries is really mm. helpful. Yeah. And the problem, I think why so many of us who grew up in those kinds of families and are now having to interact with them mm. is because we learn how to draw boundaries mm. because evangelicalism is totally crappy. Yes, very much. <laughs> teaching you how to draw boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't, we don't have those skills but that's okay because we can learn. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think um, boundaries is the way that you, we we the, the thing to remember about boundaries is we draw them not to keep people out. We draw them so that we can have a better relationship with them. That's, um, that's the one thing that I think changed my mind because we think of boundaries as like, oh, okay, we got to put up these walls and block people out. Mm. No, the reason we have boundaries is so that we can enter into a better relationship eventually even though at first it's always going to be hard when you have no boundaries and you first erect them people Mm. will respond and sometimes in negative ways Mm. Um, but if you can get over (laughs) that initial tension and people learn um, to respect those boundaries then i think it can end up being a beautiful thing Mm. Um, and when it comes to practical what to do at family functions and stuff. There's just too many factors for me to, uh, to like really a give a blanket statement. advice because because some people live far away from their family and they only see their family once every year. And that's mm. a very different story than somebody who lives in the same town and get together every weekend. Mm. And And that's where you have to decide where your boundaries are Um, If you live very close, then you might have to have a little stricter boundaries
2: um,
1: for what works for you. Um, But I will offer one thing that Brian McLaren actually said on my podcast when I asked him the same question. Hmm. Um, He uses the phrase, wow, I think of that very differently.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, So that's something that's just like a kind of a life hack. Hmm. or when you have to have conversations with people who are spouting things that are frankly very offensive (laughs) Hmm.
0: yeah so instead Uh, of making like statements about what you believe having to defend yourself kind of turning it into more of a a dialogue or
1: i think what what we always want to remember is to to not evangelize people (laughs) yeah um if don't go in trying to evangelize and change anyone's minds Mm. um but you can go in with your full presence you Mm. can go in with your full self and sometimes that means asserting your perspective um and so wow i think of that very differently hopefully opens up a space for you to maybe insert your opinion or not you could just leave it at that yeah um but yeah, it's it's difficult. And I find that in a lot of progressive spaces and Facebook groups and such, people are very quick to say, cut them off, cut them mm. out. Um, and I get the sentiment, I think, because so many of us um, find ourselves stuck in toxic relationships that mm. we, we're, we're, we we should have cut out a long time ago. And so when we finally found the courage to cut them out, we're quick to give advice to other people that they should cut people out. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a little bit of projection, I think, on hmm. people's part when they when they say that. And it's just not always applicable and helpful because especially for those of us raising children, we have grandparents and having grandparents in children's lives is known to be very beneficial to our children. Yeah. Um and so it's hard. And I mean, I absolutely agree that if grandparents are very toxic, um, that you should cut them out. But it's just not such a simple case. Yeah. Most, uh, most of the time, it's how can we draw the right boundaries to have the level of relationship that we're comfortable with and that we could still be our full authentic selves.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that because I think, you know, going back to what you said about boundaries and boundaries aren't don't really... You're not really taught in the evangelical world. And no,
1: we don't know how to do it. And we don't know that we don't have them.
0: Yeah. Like I was always taught so, that a boundary was cut them off. Like you said, you know, I mean, it's it's a wall. It's not a line. It's a wall. And it yeah. has, it's made of bricks and it's cemented. And that's this thing. That's the end. right. And I think what yeah. you say about boundaries reminds me, I was just thinking we want to put in a fence for our, da- our backyard uh, next summer mm-hmm. uh, so my daughter mm-hmm. can run around, you know, and the fence mm-hmm. is there as a boundary, um, but it's also right. there so she can have fun. We can open the door, she could run out the door and she can go out mm-hmm. there and she can play and have a great time. And I think the boundary, like you said, in a relationship is there to create the freedom mm-hmm. to have a good time with the other
1: person. That's right. And, and sometimes, and it takes time, give yourselves time to mm-hmm. know even what your boundaries are. And a lot of times, unfortunately, you don't know what your boundaries are until they've been stepped over. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, And so you go to Thanksgiving dinner, you have a confrontation that just ends with somebody storming out the door. That's when you know something has been crossed, some line has been crossed. And and so then you have to say, okay, now I know this is my Hmm. boundary. I cannot have somebody saying something anti-lgbt against my gay child right yeah, so yeah. Uh, so so there's your boundary and and then you can communicate that and and the whole you know um do no harm but take no shit,
2: yeah
1: <laughs> right like <laughs> yep. you can kindly you're you don't have to be aggressive or mean about stating your boundaries you can be kind you can mm-hmm. say hey listen i um, this is not going to be okay with me. My friend Kay Bruner tells me boundaries is what's okay with me and what's not okay with me. Hmm. So just, you know, nicely say, this is not going to be okay with me. If we're hmm. going to have this relationship, this is what you have to honor. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not, uh <laughs> not a fun and easy path, but I, um, I think the ultimate reward hopefully is a meaningful relationship that's Mm -hmm. the ideal situation
0: absolutely that's that's really helpful thank you um you talk a lot Mm -hmm. in your in your book and a lot online too in in your facebook group about uh, giving children a a choice in a variety of of circumstances so that they learn to um, have the power to choose uh, learn that their ideas and their voice matter. Like, you know, do you want to wear the red shirt today or do you want to wear the yellow shirt? Do you want corn for dinner or broccoli? And we do this with our daughter every day and it's worked miracles because we can tell that she's learning how to make choices and she's learning uh, like what pajamas she wants to pick at night, things like that. Uh, But you also say in the book that it's important to provide them with choices when it comes to their faith. So like instead of telling Mm -hmm. them what to believe, uh, maybe tell them what you believe and offer it as a tool in their their tool belt and invite them to take part in it um, if they wish, but expose them to other traditions and ideas as well. So I was reading this uh, part of the book last night. I've got to be honest with you. It gives me like a ton of anxiety <laughs> because yeah. I, I do think that you're a thousand percent right. Like I agree completely. Uh, but mm-hmm. for me, like my faith in Christ and my, um, my like love of the, of the Bible and the scriptures, even though it's mm-hmm. changed and it's evolved like over time, it's always been like a huge part of who i am and yeah. so i have this like fear that if if i empower my daughter's sense of autonomy you know as she grows in terms of her faith mm-hmm. that she might like really choose to believe something drastically different or maybe mm-hmm. even like not believe in any kind of concept of god at all and that that kind of scares me a, a little bit because i feel like faith is something we could really bond over, you know, very much as she, as she grows into a teenager and a young adult. But if she chooses not to have that faith, like I wonder in my mind, like, what would that do for our bond? And so kind of all that to say, can you maybe respond a little bit to that, that fear um, and anxiety that I feel maybe other people feel as well, maybe speak to, you know, why is it so important to allow children to develop this sense of choice or autonomy uh, when they're younger?
1: that's really interesting um i'm going to talk about something a lot less significant okay um because i feel like it lowers the stakes so we can have this conversation um so let's say that my we'll we'll just talk about my husband who loves Mm -hmm. uh, marvel movies um and then our child does not love marvel movies Mm. right and OK, let's just say "Star Wars." I feel yeah. like that's even more.:
2: yeah, that works. <laughs> you have a Yep. Nope. <laughs> so sure. if
1: a dad loves Star Wars and then their son does not love Star Wars, like yeah. that's a heartbreaking thing. <laughs> yes, it would be.: <laughs> Right? And yeah. I think that when we experience that kind of heartbreak at, in those moments, that's when we reveal how much we're willing to let our children be their own person mm. Right? Um, we have to let them be their own person. We cannot make them be who we want them to to be. I think we all have this picture in our head when we're first pregnant with our child of what it's going to be like. And the reality is almost never going to be what it's going to be like. And that's because our children are autonomous, free human beings. Mm. And we have to let them live their own stories because it's really their right it's mm. their human right to be who they are.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and so, yeah, I, I understand the anxiety and I, I think it's okay to be honest about that. We can even be honest about that to our children. Mm. We can say, I'm really bummed that you don't like star Wars, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get to be who you are, you mm. know? Um, so there's that. I think, I think we have to both honor the grief in um, our children choosing something that we would have liked them to, to choose or, yeah. or not choose, yeah. um, and still give them the freedom. Um, the other thing about the bond is... I just have a very hard time, especially if you are the kind of parent who loves your child so much that you're willing to let them live their own story
2: mm. that
1: they would not be bonded to you mm.
2: because
1: they would, they would be, it's because I think it's the best ingredient for a strong parent-child um, mm. connection mm. is when there's freedom and autonomy and because it's, it's the ultimate unconditional love. Mm. And I don't, I can't imagine that a child would not love and want to be influenced by a parent who's willing to give them that. Mm. So I would say, don't worry so much. You may not be able to bond over certain common things, but there will be a bond and there'll be a bond that's forged out of love and freedom and all the good things. Um, And then lastly... Uh, If you feel like you can't bond with your child because they believe in another religion or Mm -hmm. a different kind of faith than you, then what does that say about your relationship with people, other adults in the world who are of a faith?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the challenge that it would put out there. Um, I think we live in this pluralistic age where we have to learn how to connect meaningfully and deeply and to work alongside and with our fellow human citizens of other faiths and Mm non-faiths to, to really um, try to do some good in this world, right? Mm -hmm. We can do so much more good outside of just our own little bubbles Mm -hmm. and ideological and faith bubbles. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I would challenge you to, to, to explore how you can actually have very good relationships with people who choose a very different faith than you.
0: Hmm. No, I just actually, while you were talking, I had an aha moment because I think growing up again in that evangelical setting, and I don't know if this was kind of the message that you got, but the message I got was that you can only truly bond with someone if you believe kind of the same things when it comes to yeah,
2: God and faith. And if, if,
0: you, if, you, if you don't believe that, then it's kind of like, well... Can't really have that great of a relationship with that person. So as you're talking, Mm. I'm thinking about now, like now that my faith has evolved, like some of my best friends are agnostic, atheists, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of LGBTQ friends, a lot of people who are just in a much different place than I am. But yet we still have a very close bond. So as you were talking, I imagine to myself, my daughter is a human being just like they are, and so if she does grow to have these differing ideas, there's no reason why. I can't share that same bond with her. So that was very eye-opening for me. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, kind of my my last question for you that I want to ask is, can you maybe speak to uh, parents who grew up in that conservative um, fundamentalist setting and they're now raising their kids in this more progressive way? Um, But specifically, how can parents or should parents even be on the alert to kind of safeguard, maybe set up boundaries, whatever, to make sure that they don't parent in a way that is just as fundamentalist as they experienced growing up, but now progressively so as opposed to conservative. Because kind of as I've been evolving in my faith, and I've been thinking through some of these things, I feel like evolving in your faith is one thing, but if we're not careful, it can be really easy, I think, to bring that fundamentalism and those rules and that need to be right that we were kind of raised with um, along with us in our shift. And then maybe even worse, bringing into our role as a parent as well. So are there, do you think that that's like an issue? Do you think that there are boundaries that we can set up to make sure that doesn't happen? Is it something we even need to worry about? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that?
1: Um, I get a lot of accusations that I'm a progressive fundamentalist. <laughs> mm. um, And a lot of times I really feel like people say that because they disagree with something that I've said.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure. And
1: I think it's very easy to hurl that insult. You're a fundamentalist when you don't agree. Um, So a lot of times I would really question when people say that, oh, you're being just as fundamentalist on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, If when we strive for equality, um, whenever we try to upset the status quo, um, the people in power are going to react and um, it's going to sound scary, mean, Mm. um, threatening. Um, This is why we have tone policing, right? We have Mm. people who are like, can you please say that in a nicer way? Can you please say that in a quieter way, in a way mm. that's more acceptable mm. um, and and that's very problematic because a lot of times people become very loud and disruptive because every other way does not work, and they're mm. not able to have a voice uh, mm. unless they um, unless they shout unless they are and a lot of times it's not even anything threatening. It just seems so threatening because we've never heard a woman or a woman of color, um, mm. be allowed to, to be themselves. <laughs> mm. And so when they do assert themselves, it feels like, Oh, wow, you're being fundamentalist. Mm. Um, and I get what you're saying. I think a lot of people worry that, Oh, we're indoctrinating our kids just as much, but with like the liberal agenda.
2: Yeah.
1: And Uh, I think that's fair, but I feel like if you are asking yourself that question, then you're probably not. Mm. If you're asking yourself, am I indoctrinating my child too much with my liberal agenda, then you're probably not. Because Mm. you're aware that you are a shaping influence in your child's life and you want to be careful about your power dynamic. Mm. Um, So... Yeah, I'm not very concerned about yeah. this
0: issue. <laughs> I, I think I think that you're right, I think because I I follow you on Twitter. I follow um Diana Butler Bass and you know Jen mm-hmm. Hatmaker and there's a lot of a lot of people come at you guys sometimes and you know kind of accuse okay. you of being too loud and using your voice and as I think about it, you know I don't think like you said it's not it's not that you're it's not that you're pushing some kind of liberal agenda or something like that. It's just that I don't think yeah. that these people who come at you are used to seeing uh, women use their voice in that way. That's so right. it's not. So I think it's more shock on their part than mm. it is anything else. They don't know what to do with that shock.
1: Yeah. So I I would really encourage people before you um, accuse, make that accusation, to check yourself. Um, mm. Is it really? is it really problematic to you or is it just you're not used to seeing someone speak their voice?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And when people do start speaking their voice, it's, it's a beautiful thing for sure.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Cindy, we're just about uh, out of time, Uh, but before I let you, you go, uh, do you have, is there any place where people can go to connect with you online? I know we mentioned your Facebook group. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more specifically about that or um, any particular social media platform you spend more time on than another, where people can find you?
1: Um, I spend the most time on Facebook at Raising Children I'm a fundamentalist and Fundamentalist. Keeps you busy I'm in
0: there, Twitter. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And then there's Twitter. I'm on Twitter quite a bit as well, but I don't just talk about parenting on Twitter. Um, I have a couple of resources if people are interested in. I have a list of children's Bible recommendations that are progressive and not with like white Jesus. Hmm. Um, And I also have a training that I've developed, which helps parents who are um, faith shifting to figure out the values that matter to them. Because what I hear from parents often is, I know what I don't want to teach my kids, but I don't know what I do want to teach my kids. Mm. Um, and so that's a that's like a training that I've created and people can sign up for that. It's free on my website. Um, and I, also I can give you the link for it.
0: That'd be great. I'll put the link uh, in the show notes for people. Awesome. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. Uh, this has been super helpful. Uh, I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good night or a good day, I guess, in Taiwan. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha